0: Welcome to episode 218 of Effect,
1: Patriarchy, Smatriarchy. Um, well, you're, My you're, name's Matthew. You're Matthew, and I'm Dave, and this is the best opening to an episode we've had for a long time. Um, what have we got on on the show today? So, um, we've got quite a lot to talk about in the world of gaming. I uh, won't spoil it all now, but we do also have a report from you for your... Very busy, very hard-working days in Essen, which you were telling me about before the show, um, trying to elicit sympathy for having worked hard at Essen for for the weekend. Um, well, you were off enjoying American football.
0: Well, I say enjoying.
1: I was. It was great fun, actually. I really enjoyed it. It was, uh, I mean, the, my. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I definitely mentioned, remember mentioning it to our, the patrons. I tried to get tickets for it through the through the booking site, you know, when it opened. And I ended mm-hmm. up being 450,000th in the queue or something. For, I remember for being in communication with kids. you
0: when you were experiencing that, actually. And yeah. you said, huh, I'm 400,000th in the queue or something. Yeah, so anyway, I, carry on.
1: So I, so I left the queue on for 10 hours. When I got through, I could only get individual seats, which is no good. Um, so What you mean? As in seats on their own. So, you, so I was going with my seat, brother, yeah. but we didn't want to see right, on yeah. different sides of the stadium, obviously.
0: No, no, that would be shit.
1: And so I got quite angry, and obviously a lot of those tickets were going to ticket resellers, which may be quite Even angrier. Um, But in the end, we decided to get gouged and buy tickets. And they were really expensive, but we had a great day. It was really, really good fun. And a lovely day, beautiful weather. um, Only spoiled by Tony dropping his uh, hot dog down the stand in front of us. (laughs) Only to have some bloke down the front retrieve it and then eat it anyway. So... (laughs)
0: <laughs> what well, he rolled down the steps under yeah. everybody's seats,
1: yeah, and then some—not very, <laughs> very far, only a row or two, but—but um, <laughs> but still, and luckily, that, this is this is more really... than
0: the five-second rule. I
1: know. Well, yeah, it was really early on, so there's nobody sat in front mm-hmm. of him. Whereas, if somebody had been sat in front of him, that would have gone right down their back, which would have been very unpleasant. For him. <laughs> but we had a great day, had a really good day, and really pleased we did it. And even though I don't like being gouged, you fucking Bastards. Anyway,
0: fucking but but you rewarded them for their um, immoral activity by I know, giving them the, the extra money. I know, but, but,
1: but the problem is you're kind of stuck, aren't you? If you want to go to these events and you end up being, you know, half a million down the queue when it when it comes yeah. to it, which is entirely random, apparently. You know, so I could have got first in the queue, but I obviously got five hundred thousand. Um, yeah. If but, you want you know, to go to these events, mean, you are forced to. Let these gougers gouge you, which is really shit. I, I hate it. I think it's awful. But
0: those high power computers that run the bots that stand in the queue for all these gougers, you know, they cost a lot of money. So you've well, got to think about that. You're, you know, they, they, don't, they don't get to keep all of that extra money as pure profit. They do spend some of it on the well, um, computers.
1: I mean, in, in one sense, I don't mind resellers if they're reselling tickets that, you know, aren't. They genuinely bought and they. All that, all that aren't, aren't actually, you know, that there, there isn't a massive demand for. You know, they could have, mm. the, the organisers of the game could have sold those tickets five times over for, for those yeah. matches without a problem Two people like me, fans who wanted to go and see the game. But the gougers got themselves, I don't know how many tickets, and I don't quite know how they do that, um, just to gouge people. The face value of my ticket mm. was 80 quid. I paid 200 pounds for it. You know, it's... Oh. But, that aside, me and Tone had a fabulous day. It was great fun. Really enjoyed it. But, um yes, yeah. yeah, so... Yeah, anyway. Back, I back, just back, want back, to add here that the
0: you paid £200 pound of it. None of that was patron money.
1: <laughs> no. no. only you use patron money for your own personal things, Matthew. No, I don't. I don't! I don't! <laughs> I really should look Although, at the books one of these days. I am far too I, trusting. I,
0: I, I, I have I have got to say that free league, you've got to pay our patrons back about a hundred quid because um, uh, they said, "Oh, let, you know, you can all go out for a meal," and I said, "And we we will um, reimburse you." And we went to a restaurant, and I said, "Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm feeling cash rich at the moment because I've still got my dad's inheritance." I said, "I'll I'll put it on my credit card, and then I'll charge you back off free league." And then <laughs> went to pay, and the patron doesn't, uh, the restaurant doesn't accept. Um, credit cards, but they do accept PayPal. And I happen to have the patron money from this month sitting in my PayPal account at the time. <laughs> so patrons, thank you for the buying the free league team their uh, delicious Vietnamese meal. Um I would like, to, I, I, would like
1: I would like to say that in them um, in policing terms, this is called a cough where you basically <laughs> admit to the charge which was laid before you of um, using patron money. Well, I thought, um, having uh,
0: said I don't spend it for personal things, I then realised, well, actually, I just did. But we will be from- getting paid back. I did just put an expenses claim in um. to Free League. And when that money comes back, it will be going back into the uh, account. Which um so, so patrons don't feel robbed. It's coming now, back into the account.
1: I'm beginning to think that actually, you know, you haven't got this you know high powered project management consultancy job at all you're just sitting at home playing yeah. computer games um living off the the you know the rich bounty from our patrons
0: <laughs> if only <laughs> i mean our patrons do uh, so i yeah let's let's take this opportunity to thank our patrons because you know they they do fund uh, all our hosting and stuff like they that they do very it, much it's, yes it's vital but sadly it would not be enough for my fabulous salary at the moment um <laughs> One day, yeah. one day, maybe when Free League have taken over everything that D and D currently sells in terms of uh, owning the RPG market, and therefore we become by default the premier RPG podcast, and everybody
1: we are the premier pictures, RPG podcast. Then perhaps
0: podcast, we, aren't we? well, we are the podcast <laughs> about premier RPGs, but I think if you look at us <laughs> in the top ten <laughs> rankings, one's covering D D, probably.
1: A bit Probably do than better that. than yeah. us. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, back to the podcast. So we will have a review from Avessen, how it went. Yeah. Um, and then I've done an article, um, which on something which is quite close to my heart actually, um, uh, about history and about historical role playing mm-hmm. and about how can you ensure in certain historical settings um, that we don't discount half the population of the planet before you even start the game. Um, right so yeah yes
0: we had we did have a bit of a discussion about this about when we were last discussing your rome year zero project so i'm mm. be really interested to see how your thoughts have developed since then
1: my, my thoughts have developed okay <laughs> that's, that's nice well, <laughs> it's good to hear
0: given that um, book i recommended you to read
1: <laughs> yes well yes you did recommend a book um which I shall reference in the article. And uh, it's a great, it's a yes. very good book. I'm enjoying it very much.
0: I mean, it's not a book I actually read. I just heard the author talking on the radio and thought, oh, that's interesting.
1: And it is. Maybe and,
0: actually, I, we'll see if we can find a link to that program as well. And if I can, mm, I'll put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah. I mean, and unusually, um, I, this is going to sound really up my own ass, but unusually for reading <laughs> a you know a, a popular book on Roman history, I'm actually learning something. Um, so there's, so there's, it's it's very good, very good. But, <laughs> well, yeah. I did
0: like so on this radio show that this author was speaking on. She's a proper Roman historian, but she was just paired with a comedian, and they were talking about um, the the series is called "You're Dead to Me," and it kind of puts a comedian and a, and a historian together to talk about somebody who's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to comedic effect. And the yeah. comedian said, Oh well, I must know about as much as you about ancient Rome because I've watched I Claudius. Um, <laughs> which I which I thought you'd enjoy. <laughs> but yeah, she did sound quite knowledgeable. Um, hence but hence yeah. Anyway, let's let's talk about that more
1: when I've actually heard all you've got to
0: say, whether you've yeah. learned anything at all. <laughs>
1: um Are we into the world of gaming now? We are. So the first thing I think and- to mention since last time is that Building Better Worlds, the PDF, finally landed in people's inboxes. Which mm. is very good to see. I'm very pleased to see that finally out. Um, it's been a bit of a long road getting there for various reasons. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I'm delighted to see it. Uh, I guess I'm not I'm not best placed to say how good it is. <laughs> so,
0: <yeah. laughs> Well, neither am I because I didn't bloody pre-order it. Well, do you think I am? I'm going to buy some of your work. Got, <laughs> I get your work for free every other week. Why? Why would I spend <laughs> hard khaki money on it? Um, and, but yeah, no, it has it has been received quite well as far as I can see uh, in the in the social medias. I think, on the whole, yeah.
1: <clears throat> I well,
0: mean. I think Thomas has learned the lesson of don't announce something on alien day just because it's alien day. And yeah. you're really sure you're as close to publication as you thought you were on that day, which, um, uh, so there, there's been port, the guys at freely, you've been getting a lot of stick for how long it's taken to come out. And, and I think people were expecting the print by now, not, not least the PDF, but yeah. at least I've got the PDF now. Um, but yeah, on the on the alien forums, what I have seen, they uh, seem to be liking it quite a lot.
1: I think, on the whole, yeah. I mean, I've seen some, uh, I've seen, I've seen quite a few conversations about canon, which um, you know is obviously going to be divisive. Um, oh
0: god, this is an interesting challenge, though, isn't it? Because on one side you've got Fox saying, "Oh, don't do this. You can't have that because." that's not canon but then you've got other people's interpretation of canon what have you seen give me a good example
1: well i mean i think the best example is the whole three world exit um debacle um oh, debacle yes. i I, sh- I should remain entirely neutral in all of this cuz as you know as somebody behind the book um so obviously there are things you know there there are other things that are canon so the the books that have been coming out um over the last i guess what 18 months 2 years um, have yeah. kind of become can't become canon. Um, one of those I haven't read any of them. Um, one of them does refer to the three world, um, the three world empire, and um, a place called New Albion, which is trying to break away from the three world empire's authority. Mm. In the book, it's called Three World Exit or Three Exit. Yeah,
0: which only works in print. You notice? Yeah. Right? <clears throat> we um, were going to interview the author of that book and for various reasons it, it didn't it happen it didn't happen
1: unfortunately and, yeah
0: and well i i think quite fortunately actually
1: <laughs> well um so, uh, so and having and I, and I then think, read the book and i think that's hasn't gone down terribly well with with particularly british um british fans cuz you know it's, well, it's not
0: something what that new album is breaking from well i think from, i think that's fine I, th- or, I
1: think it's the it's the again i'm trying not to be on one side of the fence or the other. It's the it's the clear articulation of Brexit in a science fiction novel that I think has got people, you know, a little bit disappointed. Yeah. Um, so it, that, I mean, that does feature in Building Better Worlds. So that is part of the canon. Um, it, yeah. it, it, it does, you know, the, the, the concept of that features. What doesn't feature, certainly in my parts, is any reference to Three World Exit. Yeah. So, yeah, the idea is a
0: stupid concept.
1: Yeah, I mean, the idea of you know, in a in a game of of a you know a small part of a bigger union not liking the bigger union and wanting to break free is fine. You know, there's history is replete with those kind of stories, and that's absolutely fine. Um, But I think it 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 just felt a bit on the nose, certainly for Brits, basically making it Brexit in a sci-fi book. Um, Hmm. Although I'm sure many people like it, um, I just say the comments I've seen online have tended to to be on the on the oh, "why did you do that" kind of side. Um, but yeah, so there's quite a lot of canon stuff. There are um, there was interesting. There was a big list. So um, some people on the uh, on on the Alien Discord have you know really dug into it and um, gave lots of feedback to Free League in the in the relatively short window that act was given to provide that feedback. I, I assume because there are print deadlines coming up. Mm. Um, well, so it, there
0: was actually, uh, so it didn't go straight off to print So it well, came out I, last weekend. I don't know. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm making comment. assumptions here. So mm. um, on the free league forums, they were asking for, for for any comments and typos that people might spot, but there's only about a week's period or even less than yeah, a week, I think, deadline. before that, that deadline was, was, that window was closed. Um, but in that it was quite interesting. there was quite a long thing of complaining about the tables that were um that went beyond the maximum dice number you could roll, so you have tables uh-huh. that, you know d six roll that have results of seven eight or nine you know um but but I, you I, get bonuses on i gen- I gently pointed out dice that if you read me. it carefully, there are bonuses that apply and Thomas said that yeah. as well so there's things like that so they're pick, people are picking up on stuff um what else? Um.
0: I I did read a, quite an in-depth um, uh, um, shall we say I don't want, want to say criticism but uh, a sort of analysis of the astrophysics from uh, somebody who's obviously a very well-respected astrophysicist um, <laughs> who points out that there's a bit of a bias towards solo stars for example uh. and uh, we now think there may be more, you know, binary stars might be more common <laughs>
1: Yeah, I read that um, late, late last night. Um, Andy, 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 Andy. Just, <laughs> just shut up, mate. I mean, come on. Yes, we know it's not accurate. We know it's not going to be, uh, you know, perfect. It's a game. It's a bloody game.
0: But any, It anyway, is, as I thank, commented back to him. To it's thought. a game, not a thesis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, well, you know, our, our friend Andy loves... Pointing out these kind of things, even though he full well knows that we're going to go. Oh, for God's sake, Andy! What are you talking about? Get off your horse. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so, and, and I, I don't disagree with any of his comments either. Actually, no. Um, but you know, I wasn't making a astrophysics accurate, uh, you know, solar system simulator.
0: Yes. In doing it. Yes
1: uh but yeah,
0: uh, I mean that'd be a great colony game, wouldn't it that okay, you know, there's a million stars and your chances of finding one you can live on are infinitesimally small
1: <laughs> yeah exactly role plays sleeping no, can't in space. live here no, you can't live here no,
0: you can't live here no you can't yeah, live here
1: yeah. I think there's de- there's also a thing about um that I think there was definitely a I was gonna say unconscious bias but I'm not even sure it was unconscious yeah a bias towards single star systems in the in the mm-hmm. table because if you have more than one star then you have to do a lot of duplicate rolling for each star which then doubles the amount yeah. of rolling you do and there's quite a lot of rolling in it anyway which i love actually i don't mind that in the slightest which is obviously why I no you do
0: love way. it but you love it too much frankly dave and well, the not, rest of us who are not, real people no, don't no, like I disagree. so much no i really.
1: disagree there's a lot of people who do turn around and say that they love it as well but i accept that it's not for everyone so yes. um uh yeah i mean one of the things okay you're right There's a lot of
0: people that like rolling a lot of dice, but normal people like me, Dave.
1: You are anything but normal, Jones. (laughs) If you're classing yourself as the average every every man, then we are completely fucked, frankly. (laughs) But no. Um, So, but I think, yeah, I think on the whole, it's, it's, you know, it's been well received. Um, People seem to be uh, kind of liking the, you know, the structure of the campaign, which is good. Um, People are talking about the colony stuff. With anticipation I haven't seen anyone who's gone through it and then reported there and I did see yet. somebody
0: uh, uh, I thought somebody was a bit previous was talking about that there is already some sort of random planet generator available and they said has anybody has anybody put all the stuff from building better worlds on that yet I was thinking it's only been out two days <laughs>
1: <laughs> no I think I think there was a there's there's a fan made set of colony rules. Yes, um, out there, which yeah. has been out there for quite a while, which is very different to to, to the rules that we've done used in the book, uh, and actually more, I think, is more bookkeeping. Um, it goes into mm. much more sort of specific resource details and stuff. Um, yeah, we obviously didn't choose that approach in Okay, Some people worlds. do like
0: rolling more dice than you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, um, there's obviously a place for that, and. There is, there is some bookkeeping involved in this. Not a lot, actually, if you look at it. There, there is some. But they are. it's all based around player choice and how they want their colony to improve. And then those player choices can um, sort of play out, they can impact the, the events that happen around the colony, random things that are good or bad, which you can then make scenarios from. So I think, you know, I'm pleased with it. I like it. I think it, it works really well. I totally get it, it won't be for everyone. But it'll be interesting to see what feedback comes back when people start actually using it.
0: Mm. We shall wait and see with bated yeah. breath. Uh, where are we? What's next in our list? Um, Dragon Bane. So, uh, so I heard that Beth Building Better Worlds has been released while busy at work at Essen and hardly having time to pause. The other thing that I quickly saw but really didn't get to investigate while we were there, and there it might have been useful because you were actually selling Dragon Bane at the time, um, um, was that... One of the reasons why I was at Essen, in fact, was because none of the, well, very few of the Swedes were there, because there was a huge Dragonbane event going on in your ja, actual Sweden. And um, of course, mm. back there, it's a Draka Oktimona event. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, there were, the announcements were made. And um, Dave, have you had time to read about those announcements? Because frankly, I haven't.
1: <laughs> I am playing my miniature violin when you're complaining about how hard your life is at the moment. Um, so yes, so the, the two two principal announcements. One is um, the pre-order of the uh, Dragon Bane Bestiary is uh, is up, uh, open and also a hardback version of the rulebook which sounds quite mm. cool. Um, I wonder if that was always their plan to, to put it out in the box set and then to do the hardback I guess it probably was actually I think um, it probably was. why would it not be no no exactly i mean and and I would I could see it with a hardback i i i I don't mind softback books for role playing games for for games but I do much prefer a hardback but also yeah it's that-
0: interesting actually I was listening to um a podcast from our our patron Saul Hi Saul if you're listening uh, so Morales was having a bit of a discussion about, um, he's got, I I can't remember a mate of a mate who's done a game that they, they all played out there in Northern California or wherever he lives, um, called a low fantasy roleplay And that did a Kickstarter. I, I gather around the same sort of time as, um, as dragon Bane. And he was going, why was dragon Bane so much more successful? Um, and one of the reasons he said he hadn't backed it actually is because he doesn't like box sets because they come with softback books. Yeah. Um, now, as it turns out, a mate of his did back it and backed it with an extra copy just for him. So he's got it. But <laughs> interestingly, he hadn't yet, I think, opened the box.
1: Okay. Yeah. But well, um, it is lovely. It's a lovely box set. Um, I, mm. I think, again, you know, I just prefer the hardback books. But with this hardback book, you will get a new introductory adventure. Called the Castle of the mm. Robber Knight. I don't know anything else about it, but um, I guess it's quite nice to give a little uh, extra something uh, in that hardback book. I mean, particularly, I guess it's a bit of a hard sell if someone's already got all the content because they got the the box set. Um, buying the hardback book, buying another copy just to get it in hardback might not be something that everyone can afford right now. So at least by getting a new introductory adventure tucked into the back of that, then at least you're getting some new content out of it.
0: Yeah, it'll be really interesting because I love that box set so much. And I particularly, um, I feel in my head, I'm, and I, you know, and actually I was saying this a lot there, you know, we sell a lot of um, fantasy games now uh, on the stand at Essen or elsewhere. And I was really feeling like we were segmenting the market that there are, you know, there's definitely people for whom I would recommend Forbidden Lands, which is still Mm -hmm. my favourite of all the fantasy games that, um, that freely produce. Uh, obviously, the one ring is mm, chef's kiss if mm-hmm. you, you want to play uh, in Tolkien's land. And if you want to play in Tolkien's land when you you know your group don't want to play anything other than d d well, then mm. I was going to say, fuck you. But actually, we do sell the <laughs> Lord of the Rings while playing game. Um, so, the, you know, we've got that as well. We've got Cimbaroom, Uh But I definitely feel there's a real space in the market and I was particularly pushing, because at Essen, there's loads of board gamers who c- kind of come to us going, oh, I, you know, I've never played a role-playing game before. And I was saying, this, Dragon Bait is the place to start, because literally everything you could need is in this one box at only yeah. uh, 45 euros at Essen. Um, and it's just <laughs> such a fabulous, you know, it, and I think back to, uh, stop me if I've said this before, but. I remember being stop, 11
1: because cy- there's, there's nothing you haven't said before, frankly, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to carry on. So don't stop me. Ha,
0: see, I, I remember cycling over to get D and I'd saved up my money for D and D having read about it in the Sunday times of all places. Um, the color magazine uh, cycled off to well stores as it was back then. John Lewis now, um, Bought my copy, stuck it on the back of my bike rack, cy- cycled back home, opened it, and my God, the gut-wrenching feel of disappointment at two flimsy, stapled-together books and some crappy dice, <laughs> and it killed me. And I didn't know how to play. And not only is your box, uh, Dragon Bay box, chock-full of lovely, thick, soft-cover a little bit, but thick books—you know, Book of Adventures, a Book of Rules. Another adventure, solo adventure, so that little eleven-year-old me back then, who was trying to go, well, what do I start? How do I? I, mean, I read, I read the first page of rules, and it said, you know, you need to advertise in your local tavern, and I was going, I can't even. I'm not even old enough to go into a pub. How am I going to get players this way? <laughs> um, mm. And. And if I'd had that that starter adventure and those little cardboard figures to move around, you know, with the little plastic standees so that they, they all stand up nicely, and they're nice cardboard, I've got, got to be said, um, I'd have been over the moon with that set. And yeah. so I really want to push Dragon Bane to young gamers. And, get, you know, the old hands who are among our listenership who are thinking, well, you know, I've got 15 different fantasy systems, I don't need another one. You don't. You really don't need Dragon Bane. Um you know, it's it's a d twenty roll under system. It's got loads of hit points. Battles are a bit of a grind, as we've discovered when we when we did our actual play. Yeah. You don't you, you've you've got better games that you'll play, but this is a perfect game to give to nieces and nephews who are interested in D anD D and stop them being interested in D anD D <laughs> and get interested in a game that's actually playable.
1: Yeah Sorry, went over. <laughs> yeah, indeed anyway the rule book does look, um does look quite nice they've got a picture of it here I'm guessing that that involved, that that basically includes all the content that's in the in the box set in one book um yeah it looks very nice it looks very nice there's a there's a um, a limited edition version which looks fine not sure it's the best limited edition look that they've ever had because the the standard look actually is really good the standard image yeah
0: um, I I think the artwork on the this lovely johan Edgar Cran's artwork looks spectacular. I've always felt that a bit about limited edition versions from Free League. There's a few,
1: some of them the are Vaysom great. Some of them, and yeah. the Lord of
0: the Rings ones are Chef's Kiss. But um, most of the others, I prefer the artwork on on the front cover of the standard edition.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So that's 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 Dragon Um Excellent. What do we have next in? On the list.
0: We have the Lost Mountain Saga, oh, which is yes. coming out especially into retail for Halloween, and um, we have our copies, don't we, you and I? We do, and it's a lovely book. It you know feels a lot like a Verson book, which it is. Um, <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> Thanks for uh, that
1: bit of insightful, uh, you know, information there, Matt.
0: <laughs> but it's got that, you know, that lovely sort of slightly fabric-y feeling to the cover, um, yeah. which which puts it, you know, which makes it, even though it's a standard edition illustrated book, it fits very nicely near my recently spoken of uh, deluxe edition of the Vasen Rule book. Uh, it's got the lovely illustrations inside, some of them from Johan Echegrand, some of them from uh, Anton Vitus who's done most of the... Uh, sort of npc illustrations in most of the books we've seen so far
1: Mm.
0: um it's properly spooky uh if you've heard lost mountain saga as a title before it comes out of a podcast which i think we talked about ages ago when it started um and obviously it's such a good podcast an ap podcast by a swede who lives in america um that you know free league obviously went yeah we'll we'll publish that um and so there it is. People uh, were asking at Vesson, how does this book take account of the shortly coming second series? To which my reply was, I have no idea. Seriously? <laughs> um, second season so of what? I, of, of the Lost Mountain Saga.
1: Oh, I see. There's okay. a new yeah, season yeah. of Lost Mountain Saga right, starting right, right.
0: in podcast land. Uh, and okay. yeah, we haven't... You know, I, I I don't know whether any of this book features in that. Um, I think the adventures in here are expanded upon what they originally did in the actual podcast. Um, But uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. And I recommend it to all Vaison fans. It's sold out pretty quickly at at Essen.
1: Cool. Yeah, I mean, I've had a look at it. I haven't looked at it in any detail, just in case at some point I might get to play it. Um, Still waiting for the day when... Magnuson can can dust off his suit return, and, yes. and start and start uh, investigating again uh, as a character that I have particularly enjoyed playing. Um, really, we shall really have to like get character. that back in the. Uh, I would very uh, much I be up for playing some more of that. <clears throat> oh, such I a just good...
0: can't contemplate actual plays at the moment while I'm working With... at work.
1: Yeah, it's just difficult. See, I work so
0: hard. Not just at Essen; I work hard for the rest of my life as well. That yeah. was a killer. Actually, coming back from Essen on Monday and going to work on Tuesday.
1: Uh, you do need anyway. some time off, don't you? After these things, I mean, yeah, you can, you yeah. can, you can, you can try and elicit sympathy when you talk about this, at the end of this piece, <laughs> cool. Um, uh,
0: where are we then? Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, it's coming out for Halloween. Buy it. Uh, Cohorts Cthulhu is kickstarting.
1: That is kickstarting at the moment. It's about halfway through the Kickstarter at the moment. Um, at the time of recording, it's got 14 days to go. They've got nearly 1500 backers. Have uh, we will have, put
0: a link in the show notes
1: have trebled their, the pledge. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what else to say about coho because we talked about it before. Um, it's doing well.
0: So it's- just remind me, you uh, worked for Modiphius on this one, so not just helping him out a bit with some of the Roman details of the Roman background, but also in the end, uh, plotting out a couple of adventures in the campaign and also kind of Overseeing the whole campaign storyline. No, right?
1: that so that's Dreams and Machines for the campaign. Oh that's Dreams and Machines. Oh sorry. War. But but for Cthulhu, I um, like I said, I did a little bit of impromptu sort of consulting ages ago on the Roman setting side of stuff. But then I've written two scenarios which are going to be coming out in the Germania supplement, which is part of the Kickstarter. So there are two supplements right. coming out, Germania and um, Larium. Larium is the town where mm. the, the game is set initially on the on the frontier between the Roman Empire and Germania. Um, so they've done a supplement for adventures in and around Larium and they've done a supplement for adventures um, that go further out into, into Germania. Um, my adventures are in that, but they do. I mean, they all take place in the same area. You know, both my adventures are centered mm. on Larium. But then, obviously, involve exploring and uh, adventure excitement across the border um, into mm. into the into the land of the German tribes people. But yeah, they're great. I mean, I've really enjoyed writing those. Um, but they are those two scenarios are um, are going to be in that supplement.
0: And was Where, that supplement itself in the core Kickstarter pledge, or has that been a stretch goal that um, has happened?
1: No, I think that is in the core pledge. Um, let me just check yeah it's definitely not yeah so both of those supplements are in the or uh, in the Kickstarter they're not they're not stretch goals um, so there's a let me just check so there's a range of options you can go for um, the Scout option I think gives you the PDF access to all of those books you get the games master's book you get the players guide you get the Germania <coughs> and the Larium supplements and there's another book there which i can't quite see what it is um and then beyond that you can get physical add-ons obviously um so yeah so those books come as part of the pledge you can pledge just for the the the, the guide the dm's the guide and the um player's book if you don't want the adventures uh but the kick the um the, the kickstarter stretch goals that they've been unlocking have unlocked Quite a lot more additional scenarios to go into those supplements. So I think at least mm-hmm. two or three in each supplement has now got two or three extra scenarios, thanks to thanks to stretch goals. Yeah. So I mean, um, I'm quite excited to see it all out in print. Um, so, so the fifth book there is a of Cthulhu anthology, volume one. Hmm. Um, there's quite a lot in there, and also, I mean, this is a this is a line for Modiphius that is also it's got a a, um, a skirmish game coming with it. It's got um, miniatures that you can buy, so it's one of their lines where you can do basically everything with it.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now, now, now we are rehashing what you talked about last time, so maybe yeah. we should move on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, so at the point of recording, which is the fifteenth of October, there's two weeks left on that Kickstarter. If anyone is interested, go and have a look.
0: Um, yeah, and just a little short addendum to a previous news item we did ages ago. We talked about there being a new edition of Basic Role Playing. The um, The D100 Roll under uh, basis of everything from RuneQuest, Call of Cthulhu, Mm. uh, and and in fact, actually, originally, uh, Dracarok Okyamuna or or Dragonbane as well. So still got some of that heritage in it. Uh, That came out in PDF some time ago. It's out in print now. So um, I know among our patrons, we have some fans of basic role playing, not least me, Um, Uh and it may be time to get that new edition. Um, Cool. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, People who bought the PDF direct from Chaosium will, of course, have a voucher that will give them money off the the print version as well, I believe. Yeah. Um, Right. So can I talk about Essen now
1: and how hard I worked? Tell me about Essen. Um, Leave out the bit about how hard you worked because, you know, we all know how hard you work, worked.
0: Let me tell you how hard it was to get (laughs) to Essen,
1: actually. So Go on, then. of course
0: it was all planned. Uh, I, I I looked for the best deal I could at the most convenient times. And there was some terrible early morning flight from Heathrow that I thought, how am I actually going to get there? Unless I live in Heathrow. Uh, I couldn't get a train there. So anyway, in the end I chose a kind of middayish or ten o'clock in the morning flight.
1: From Is this going to be Airport. a blow by blow saga of your whole weekend? No,
0: no, don't worry. It's going to be you oh, know, okay. it's it's twenty
1: five past ten already, mate. You know, come on, we haven't got all that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and um yeah actually you ought to keep keep a roll on we've only done we're up to almost 40 minutes here this is good um so uh you've taken me off my thread now i'm gonna to have to go back to the beginning no i'm not um so i got a flight out of london City airport thinking it'll be easy you know mid-morning i'll get a train into that one that'll be lovely very convenient and of course i had a train strike on the day <laughs> thank you patron uh will um for uh, RMt member uh, uh, for your and your brethren for making me get a hotel at London City Airport after work on Tuesday to go there. just wanted to get that little gripe out of the way, but um, I'd fully support the train strikes and what you're fighting for. Let me just say that as well. um anyway, so that that kind of threw me off. I then went to go and see and this is just this really is a decide. I went to see the film the Creator.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, any good?
0: Well, I thought I'd go and see it at an IMAX because it looked very pretty on the trailers. And I will say it is just as pretty as it looks on the trailers. And seeing it on a great big screen made it look pretty, I'm sure. But by God, the story's pants.
1: I was going to say, it sounds like this is the the high point of your review of the movie, that it looks pretty yeah, on the big screen.
0: Absolutely. It is. The What's an excuse that means we can film in Thailand? What's a story point that means we can do something in a kind of Bangkok thing? What's the... A... What's what can we do to you know to have a picture of a kind of Simon Stallenhargus picture of a robot in in Buddhist robes banging a bell? Um,
1: oh dear.
0: Okay. Yeah, it wasn't great.
1: Not a recommendation um, then.
0: Not a rec. I mean, by all means, watch it on a big telly when it comes out on whatever streaming channel it'll end up on. <laughs> don't don't spend twenty odd quid going to see it in IMAX cinema. Mm. Talking okay of, of that recom- over.
1: Talking of recommendations, so I'd waited a very yeah. long time for new episodes of Frasier. And I saw oh, them yes. this week. And um, yeah. I was I was pleased. I was pleased. I think it's going to take a little while to settle down. Um, but actually, I quite Yeah, the liked... first
0: episode was very much, here's the new cast and here are the new characters and the new situation. Live with it um, episode, wasn't it?
1: Which was cool. I liked it. But it also... Yeah. Um, you know, it had some nice, clever bits of writing about how they revealed some of that exposition, which I thought was really quite mm-hmm. nicely done, which is very, very reminiscent of original Frasier, um, which is which is great. And I quite like the characters. I mean, the only character I haven't got the hang of yet, really, is David, who is Frasier's nephew, Niles and Daphne's son, who hasn't really yeah. had a point yet. He just comes along Except and to be a kind a-
0: of mixture of Niles crossed with... um. Oh God, who's the fellow out of Big Bang
1: Theory? Yeah, Sheldon, which I don't like. Sheldon. I don't yeah. I don't want yeah. I don't want to have Sheldon vibes from this character because I no. I don't like the Big Bang Theory. Um yeah. and I don't like Sheldon in the Big Bang Theory. And I don't want but to But Rodney like, um, out of
0: Only Fools and Horses is
1: brilliant, isn't it? He, he was great. Really, really good. Nicholas Lindhurst, I was very pleased with. <laughs> the guy who plays Freddy, actually, I think he's quite good. I'm liking him. Um, yeah, and then and then the way they did in the and second I'm liking episode. that
0: reversal of the father son relationship there.
1: Yeah, and I um, think that was quite good. And I, they they did a nice they did like a the... nice bit of um a, a nice dedication to to John Mahoney yeah. obviously who played Martin in the previous series who's now passed away a couple of years ago. That was nice. I thought that was nicely handled. Um, and then in the second episode, no spoilers, but I thought the way they kind of revealed the backstory of the relationship um for frasier and freddy was really nicely done um yeah yeah and lots of little easter eggs lo- lots of little callbacks to to the previous series so there's um one of the characters one of one of freddy's mates is the same actor who played a barista in one episode a guy called steve um who's just okay. got a couple of beautiful one like deadpan one-liners um in frasier um so he's in there his nickname, I think, in the programme is Moose, which was the name of mm-hmm. one of the two dogs that played Eddie. So there's lots of little like little, little. Easter eggs like that, which is just really quite it, it's for somebody like me who's an enormous fan. of Frasier
0: nerds like
1: you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely I t- yeah, I'm guilty. Guilty. Um that was really nice. So I'm very hopeful I I'm enjoyed gonna say, it.
0: in many respects, it feels like a comedy show from twenty years ago as well.
1: Hmm yeah and they, they 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 seem to have so far at least avoided the very very kind of formulaic approach that you often get in modern american sitcoms yeah and they seem to have avoided that so far which is great um yeah so yeah high hopes high hopes cool. so I, no, I, I, was,
0: I was quite impressed i i too watched it and um I was quite impressed, and I was very nervous. What you felt, uh, I mm. loved. I tell you what, I loved the bit where um, Rodney. What's his real character name? <laughs> Alan. Alan
1: character. Cornwell is the character in the in Fraser. Alan,
0: and Alan sits behind his desk, and he's, you know he's about to, um, to psychoanalyze uh, Frasier and Fraser obviously doesn't need any of that shit. So he says, "I'll just make some notes, so I don't forget." <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a nice punchline to that that i really enjoyed so uh, yeah uh i yeah. yeah okay carry on so cool. here we are we're we're, we're now the frasier podcast right we're not going to talk about the system <laughs> anymore.
1: we were talking about essen weren't we essen <laughs> essen i, so I love essen the way that we really get to frasier from talking about your travels to essen <laughs> so that's uh, that's the wonder of the effect podcast folks you just never know where the <laughs> what our go.
0: patrons pay for possibly
1: <laughs> Anyway, Essen. Uh, tell me more about the highlights. Give me, give me the potted highlights of Essen.
0: Okay, so we sold loads of stuff at Essen um, last year. at Essen, they sold about twenty-four thousand euros worth of stuff. Uh, this time, of course, I was there, so we sold thirty-six thousand euros worth of stuff. I've learned some interesting thing about. Um, they still have a fixed price book agreement in uh, in Germany. So, oh yeah, you can't, you can't, can't discount books. Yeah,
1: it's weird, yeah. isn't it?
0: Well, and it's not weird. It's the way way things used to work and frankly, you know, it's kind of it stops people like Amazon, I guess, you know, taking over the whole market. Although I don't know whether in the EU whether that works or whether people are allowed to import books from Amazon UK. But I
1: mean by by fixed places. but I mean by fixed price, who who fixes the price?
0: Well, the publisher fixes the price, but yeah. then they Yeah. So I mean it, do, know, it doesn't no, stop Amazon no, doing anything
1: no. because Amazon just fixes the price lower, you know, so because they Well, no, no. So
0: in theory you're not allowed to in Germany. I don't know what Amazon... But then if it's up to the
1: publisher to decide how much they charge for their book, Amazon, as the publisher, can then decide how much they charge, surely.
0: But Amazon aren't a publisher. They're a retailer.
1: Do they not count as a publisher then?
0: Well... No, I guess guess not. In terms of... Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. When they're being a retailer, when they're doing somebody else's books... Um, No, obviously... Anyway... Charging the
1: recommended price, as it were. Yeah, yeah. So I remember
0: going to... um, uh, you know, just like we do at Dragon Meat, we're actually, you know, the, the feeling shop is actually the branch of another shop that's there, um, and I they they use up where we use Settle at um, at Dragon Meat.
1: Boring saying, information that people don't need. <laughs> uh, hold on,
0: somebody was saying surprising information about what goes on behind the scenes in the industry. This this is the meaty <laughs> stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Is can we do a discount? And I went to the German shop that we were borrowing their sister. And I said, how do I do a discount? And he said, oh, you're not allowed to do a discount. So so there you go. Um, Learn something new every day. Uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't get much of a chance to walk around. But when I did, I was... I mean, it's the biggest game show in the world. And I just think, how many games does the world actually need? Um, (laughs) You know, I mean... You talk about, oh, I can't, you know, we haven't got a lot, we're not going to live long enough to play all the role playing games I want to play. Well, if yeah. you don't do board games into that, you're screwed, mate. You're absolutely yeah. screwed. Um, so there's a lot of stuff there. I think it's worth a visit. I will say for all our um, our fans who don't live in Germany and maybe have never been to Essen, once in your lifetime, I think it's worth going to Essen and uh, at least and, and checking it out because it's just huge <laughs> um i didn't buy much because i was selling stuff uh i came back with a swag that is two books you may have already seen them on the patreon but i thought i would talking about them now one of them we've talked about before and um i'm going to talk about it again because it's lovely and that is ukrainian versen or versen spirits and monsters of mythic ukraine yeah, nice and we here. had a guy from the ukraine um visit us today and he delivered some actually printed versions of the book, um, so you can only get it on on DriveThrough RPG as a as a PDF at the moment. But uh, he'd got some specially printed to give to us at uh, Free League, and I got one of those, and it mm. is gorgeous in print. Uh-huh. Nice. Um, it's lovely. It's really lovely. Yeah, I and I, will I haven't put seen some, it. <clears throat> I'll put some links uh, to the various charities. Remember, you can get this for free. And it's pages thick. It's, um, how many pages are we looking at? 60, 70 pages, something like that. Um, and, and the PDF is free on Drive through RPG. And what they say on the front page, on the first inside page, is this is free to you. But if you want to consider giving money to a number of charities supporting um human rights and the like in, in Ukraine, then that's what we'd like you to do. And I'll um dig out some of those and put them in the show notes see if anybody's interested. Nice. Um so that's there. The other one I got was the Year Zero Cowboy System. <laughs> um carry on. And this I did actually buy and I bought it from do you remember when we were sat next to the uh the guys selling Be Like a Crow at um Dragon Meat?
1: Yes, yep.
0: across the and he bought a bunch of stuff from us because he's a you know free league fan like any normal person would be and uh, lee i think his name is but lee if it's that's not your name sorry i've got your name wrong but i think it's lee um you might be tim actually because this book is written by tim roberts but maybe lee's just publishing it anyway uh this is year zero engine uh western so we're too late, mate. We might as well give up on Tales Me the Old West and uh, we're go not do something too late. boring. Instead. We're
1: never too late.
0: We're not too late because luckily, you know how we don't like supernatural um, westerns where we you're fighting like vampires westerns, and zombies. Yeah, we don't. Well, this isn't one of those games where you're fighting uh, vampires and zombies because you are a vampire or a zombie <laughs> or a skeleton. Uh, you're an undead uh, Wild West person. It's a, it's a system where... You may have uh, as an undead uh, uh, hindrance a rattle of bones, which means people can always hear you coming because you're a <laughs> skeleton, uh, which I love. Uh, I noticed some interesting things. Though. They haven't changed the names of uh, any of the attributes. It's just strength, agility, wits, and empathy. Okay. But I'll notice that under strength, one of the skills you have is grit. Um, I would also notice that... Uh, they have Eagle Eye as one of the skills under wits. Um, hmm. So there's some, you know, some crossover with our game.
1: Um, I mean, these things are pretty obvious. If you're going to do a Western game, you're likely to have grit in there somewhere. Um, yeah. Because of because it's just such a Western trope. And I guess Eagle Eye, you know, we've gone for a different bird of prey <laughs> for hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. No surprise um as you say we've we've talked about well we've been developing Toto for many years now we've talked about yeah. getting it over the line and, and pushing on, and we were in fact talking about it just before you went to Essen um mm-hmm. and this is just another reminder that we need to get bloody move on
0: <coughs> yeah, yeah it is yeah. we'll talk about it maybe after we've finished recording Indeed. uh so yeah, that's Essen for me. It was a great but really hard work. The food is great they um mm-hmm. they have loads of different food stalls. And I recommend anybody going to Essen get a burger from the company known as Mother Trucker, um, which makes some very nice burgers. Cool. But there's there's other you know traditional German foods like um, Currywurst and stuff like that
1: uh, that you can grab there. Cool. Um, nice. Yeah. Good stuff.
0: I'm done. Good. I'm done. Uh, so we're going to go to
1: coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So MCM Comic Con. Never so I've to just been liaising
0: with Anna on Comic-Con. And yeah, um, I, I noticed Millie, who was at SN and we I saw her and said hi and got her involved in a conversation with a very boring customer, apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, she said, oh, you know, just back from SN and it's only 244 days till, uh, till UK uh-huh. Games Expo, where she's working, of course. And I thought, oh, if only I had that luxury. It's only a couple <laughs> of weeks now till to Comic Con. I was talking to Comic Con. You know, we're going to be running Dragon Bane demos. And this is actually worth just flushing back to Essen. We did little 45 minutes of Dragon Bane that worked really well. And nice. I'll talk to you outside the show about how it worked. But um yep. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really up for playing it. And I really think we want to be targeting. I mean, I don't know what Cleontel is going to be like at Comic-Con, but I, I'm hoping we're going to see families there, and I really want to try and persuade them to sit down as a family and play a game, because one of the games I GM'd was a family. Girl of about 10, boy of about 12 or 13, another boy 16, 17, and their dad. And um, it was such a laugh. It was a really mm-hmm. great game.
1: Nice. Um,
0: so, so it reminded me that the, title for, uh, the subtitle for uh, the lands is what, Mirth and Mayhem? And that felt very much like a Mirth and Mayhem thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so, yeah, I want to get some more families playing at Comic-Con. Nice. What, do you, what are cool. your ambitions for Comic-Con?
1: I don't really have any at the moment. Um, a convention we haven't been to before, so it'll be interesting just to see, you know, what the vibe is like. And, um, mm. yeah, so we've also got a bit of planning to do in the next... Ten days to get ourselves ready, um, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be interesting to, like I say, it's it's a bit of an unknown, so it'll be interesting to see yes. what kind of clientele is there, how much interest we get. I suspect we'll get quite a lot of interest. Um, and, yeah, and what so it's, what it's going to feel like, I mean, and it's, it's at the Excel, isn't it? So it's going to be a different kind of vibe. Um, it, yes,
0: it's going to be. Um an experiment for us and we're not really taking that much stock i think for a three-day event i had a chat with anna about it i think we're right to not take that much stock because we want to be loaded down with too much stock um uh on on, on sunday when it closes but uh but i'm hoping it's, we're going to sell yeah. out and if we it it, if we yeah, sell it's out
1: it, it's a tough one to judge isn't it because we just got no idea yeah. what kind Mate. of reception we're going to get what kind of you know how how much how many how many sales we're gonna make. Um yeah. so probably wiser to go to go less rather than more. It might be worthwhile um us considering reserving stock for for Sunday in case yeah. you know we yeah. sell out. Well our I think our we've only cakes. got so, we
0: have got a relatively small stand, so a lot a lot of stock is going to have to be hidden under the tables anyway. Yeah. Um but yeah, maybe Maybe keeping a bit out. Although, you know, it's interesting because, again, Essen we sold really well on Thursday and Friday. And I thought we were going to – I knew Sunday was going to be a lot quieter, but I thought we were going to sell out of stuff like uh, Mork Boyer on the Saturday. And actually, Saturday was a lot quieter as well. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a real difference in the audience. Like Thursday and Friday were adult nerds with spending power. And there mm. were a lot more – there were, there were still, I don't know, there spending power on Saturday and Sunday, but there were a lot more families on Saturday and Sunday. And Comic-Con, I don't know if it's just going to be more family-orientated anyway. Um, but if it is, I think that's good. We just need to get the families all buying Dragonbane. That's, mm-hmm. that's the secret. But
1: we'll yeah. See. Yeah, so it'd be good. Looking anyway, forward to it. Um, if anybody who listens series.
0: to us is coming to London Comic-Con, that is MCN Comic-Con London, uh, on the end of October weekend... Come and say hi. Yeah, we'll take a bit of swag as well if you want. And um,
1: yeah, we might as well
0: wear our badge with pride. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, that's Shall quite we a get lot on
1: world of gaming so far, isn't it? So let's, uh, yeah, let's move on. Yes. To the to the main <laughs> event. As any regular listener will know, I'm a bit of a history buff. There's nothing I love more than letting my imagination drag me off to one period in history or another whether it's through a superbly written bit of historical fiction, or an excellent scholarly book or documentary, or through viewing the artefacts of the past in a museum, or breathing in the actual location. I'm lucky enough to have an imagination that can really recreate these times and places in my mind, and they often excite and fascinate me. This enthusiasm makes me want to recreate these moments for others, and the way I have of doing that is through historical role-playing. This does, however, often, or in fact usually, come with a problem, in that the historical settings I'd love to recreate are dominated by men. Often what we know about them is largely from written works penned by men, who are talking about the things those men like to talk about, and often written to please other, more powerful men into the bargain. You'll see the obvious problem here, that this risks excluding about one half of the population of the planet women. As a player I tend to make my characters at least with some semblance of me in them, or aspects of me I'd love to explore, even if those aspects are dark things I'd never explore in real life. So I play characters I recognise in one sense or another. Over my many years of playing I've been a werewolf, an imp, a cave troll, as well as elves, dwarves, clones, replicants, Doctors, soldiers, criminals and assassins, to name but a few. But to the best of my recollection, I've never played a woman. Of course, I've GM'd NPC women and loved doing it, especially the husband-wife argument with Matthew's character Bobby Rashid in my Serenity campaign. But for some reason, I've never played a woman PC. I think the reason is that, as I said, I tend to play characters with whom I can instantly make a connection and not having the experience of life as a woman, I think I find making that connection a bit harder to do. There is also another issue with all this – the modern trend of reimagining the past to redress this imbalance. However, as a history buff, I have a problem with works that call themselves authentic histories that then radically change those histories to redress that imbalance. You just didn't get female knights of the realm. You didn't get women in the Roman legions or in high and official positions of power. No woman sat in the Senate of Rome. Also, a lot of modern fiction now focuses on the concept of the strong female character, and often fails to do this any justice. In too many cases, these characters are simply uber men, but in a female skin. This not only tends to make shallow and often unlikable characters, but it completely misses the point and opportunity in creating those leading female characters in the first place. It's also patronising, effectively saying the only way a woman can be a strong leading figure is to outman the men. At best, this is lazy writing. And at worst, it misses the opportunity to really represent female characters in three dimensions, both constricted by and dealing with the restrictions that their society places upon them. We can, of course, just say the hell with it. We're going to represent women in these roles in our games and get on with playing a fun game. That's fine if that's what you want to do. But as a history buff, and someone who wants to bring these times of human history to life, I don't want to take that easy way out. We can, of course, debate the rights and wrongs of these historical societies, But if we want to recreate them, we need to honour that history, warts and all. So where does the rubber hit the road for me? There are three games that immediately come to mind that I have some stake in, although I could name loads of others that stray into this ground. But the three I have a direct interest in are Cohort Cthulhu, my nascent Roman RPG going under the working title of Rome Year Zero, and Tales of the Old West. Cohort Cthulhu and Rome Year Zero are both set in ancient Rome, although nearly three centuries apart in time. However, Cohor Cthulhu, although its recreation of second century Rome is intended to be as authentic as possible, it is, at its core, a horror fantasy game. The player characters are part of the ages-old war that also plays out in Achtung Cthulhu. They get insights into the world, and into other worlds, that normal mortals don't, and they get powers and responsibilities that normal mortals don't acquire. Thus, while the wider setting of Ancient Rome has the usual restrictions on female roles, the core of the game itself does not. Anyone, of any gender, from any background, can find themselves heroes in this game. Rome Year Zero, on the other hand, is different. With this game, I want to recreate the last decade of the Roman Republic, with no magic, no fantasy, and no Cthuloid beasties. It's about the race to become the first man in Rome, about politics, love, intrigue, battles in the field with Pelum and Gladius, battles in the Senate with political byplay and oratory, and battles in the dining halls with subtle manipulation and double dealing. As you can see, the Rome of 100 BCE is a patriarchal affair, The highest political post is the consulship, available only to men, and the highest prize is gaining the unofficial title of the first man in Rome. But that said, the history of Rome, while not bursting with tales of the power of women, and I refer to my earlier comments about who did the writing and what they were writing for, it is clearly moulded by the influence of women. I'm currently reading a book by Emma Southon, called A History of the Roman Empire in Twenty-One Women. While simultaneously loving and hating the author's writing style, this book has been a joy to read. Her choice of twenty-one women is inspired, not least by its omission of two women that most people interested in Roman history would have heard of, Livia Augusta, the wife of Augustus Caesar, and Cornelia, the mother of the Gracchi. Southon has included some super important women in Roman history, That few would have heard of, as well as a delightful case study of a woman who we would never have met except for the eruption of Vesuvius in 79 CE. Julia Felix was a Pompeian businesswoman, and an in-depth snapshot of her life has been recreated by what the fire, ash and pyroclastic flow preserved for posterity through its destruction. In gaming terms, while women did not attend the Senate, could not lead armies or serve as legionaries. They had an enormous influence over their men and the success or failure of their families' ambitions. Yes, they are living their lives through their menfolk, but that was the reality of late Republican Rome. But it didn't mean they were powerless or didn't have compelling stories to tell. This is something I want to focus on, to draw these powerful female characters out into the open and run campaigns of plotting, intrigue Favourable marriages, covering for the weaknesses of their menfolk when they fail in the law courts or the senate, or manipulating opportunities for them, and through them drive the family forward. In this way, I want to help people tell real stories about the lives and experiences some women had in ancient Rome, rather than either ignore them entirely, or end up creating a fantasy world that doesn't reflect the real history. This finally brings me to Tales of the Old West. Again, a genre where, on the whole, men have taken the leading role in books and film, but a time and place in history where women had the chance to break free of that and stand on their own two feet. Susan McSween, Belle Starr, Mary Fields, Cathay Williams, Bridget Biddy Mason, and many others are great examples of women making their own way in the West, and we are reflecting that in Tales of the Old West. It was perhaps less the patriarchy that threatened them in those times, although the power and influence of men was still all-pervading, but more the power of money, capital, and the nefarious interests that controlled it. So all that said, I don't think we should change history to allow female player characters a place in the spotlight in a historical role-playing game. Let's not take the easy way out, the lazy way out. Let's roll up our sleeves and do the hard work, to find the women of those times, to uncover the stories that dominated their lives and bring them to the table for everyone to enjoy.
0: Well, I feel very proud to have inspired you to read a book that you've obviously kind of enjoyed, but we'll come back okay. to that later. First of all, though, I have you've aroused my curiosity with Julia Felix, who died, sadly, in Pompeii or Herculaneum, for a start, uh, when the well, she exploded. was
1: she, she's in she was in Pompeii. We don't know for sure that she died. Oh um, right, although it seems likely, it seems highly likely. Um, now this is this is something that is just it, it's such a, a crystal ball or a um, you know a portal into the life of a woman in you know uh, yeah early Imperial Rome. Because so much of the stuff that you know about women is written by men, in fact, mm-hmm. nearly all of it, um, and they are writing for very specific reasons. You know, they're writing about big events, they're writing about political battles and wars and all that kind of stuff. And so the women um, only really feature in their narratives when um, you know when they think they ought to. Um,
0: mm.
1: So, so getting at this insight. Into um, this woman, Julia Felix, uh, who was a businesswoman, she had no obvious male guardian or husband or any male um, power that was controlling her ability to run her own life, which is an interesting mm. point because certainly at the, the the you know at the aristocracy level and the noble level, and at the level that people like Cicero and Tacitus and all the others are writing they're talking about that level of nobility and it seems that mm. perhaps the the restrictions and obligations placed on Roman women at that level of society were possibly much stronger and more stringent than those suffered by the rest of society and mm. Julia Felix is, is an example that is, is evidence that supports that now admittedly there isn't a lot of evidence so you know there's quite a lot of supposition going in here but yeah, so she was a businesswoman. She she bought up a, a plot of land and then there was a plot of land next to next to that, which I think was destroyed in, a, in a, a normal fire or something. And she bought that up and turned it into basically a large pleasure emporium. And So she had baths, she had dining rooms um, and she brought people in. Obviously, you know, she was basically an entertainer and was bringing people in to have a, a dining experience. And OK, let
0: me let me just once you said that i a little alarm bell is ringing here. Uh, and I'm not. It's a cliche alarm bell rather than a morality alarm bell. But by pleasure emporium, do we mean it's a brothel as well?
1: No, no, we don't. Absolutely no? not. Mm. Actually, I think going from what, what I've read, um, okay. absolutely not. It's like a fine dining restaurant almost. Oh, right. um, OK. Yeah, cool, cool. Where there were there were there were fine dining rooms. There were there were there were dining spaces that were less fine. There were there was there were like private baths you could use, steam rooms, and all that kind of stuff. So it's more like a spa, mm. really. Yeah. Than, gotcha. Then no. Gotcha. So so no no nothing to suggest from what I've read that it's um, it's about prostitution at all. Um, and she was it seems her own woman. She was making her own decisions. She did all this under her own name. Which again, as I said, is is a nice indication that perhaps not every Roman woman was being controlled or shackled by by a man. And I think, you know, in some or, or of the other stuff that Even I've,
0: working uh, through a man. So, you know, if yeah, we go with yeah, exactly. uh, some of the cliches yeah. of historical novels, you know, which may be about female central characters, but they are often for want of a better word, manipulating their husband who has a lack of ambition and they're, they're pushing that person forward and forward. But he's the front, <clears throat> uh, even if she's the brains behind the operation. But here you're saying yeah. she's she's just standing up for herself and operating for herself uh, and just being herself.
1: Absolutely. And all this was mm-hmm. obviously recorded. This snapshot in time was recorded, you know, by the destruction that the, the eruption wrought upon Mm. Pompeii. They did find the body of... I'm not sure... I think it was probably a woman within the grounds wearing some very nice jewellery. Speculation that that might be Julia. But there's just no way to know for sure. Um, So it's quite possible that she died there when in the AD 79 or 79 common era. Um, But it's a beautiful insight because a lot of the other stuff that you read... Um, really shows the the control that men had over their women. Now, that said, I think there's other stuff that I've seen over the years that she, you know, there are some women who kind of break that mould. Um, one of the women I mentioned, which isn't included in the book, Cornelia, mother of the Gracchi, um, she, was, she was a noble woman who, after her husband died, had power over her own life. And so mm. The mother of the Gracchi, she was the mother of, of two politicians, Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus. Um, mm-hmm. They were forward-thinking politicians who were both lynched by other politicians for their uh, kind of temerity in trying to suggest that, you know, we can make life better for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And Cornelia, the mother of the Gracchi, is held up as this... Um, stereotypical is the wrong word, but um, she is the exemplar of Stoicism, that she lived through and wasn't defined by the deaths of her husband and her sons, and so she is held up as this you know, perfect example of of what you should do if you if you suffer misfortune. You know, she'd be like Cornelia, mother of the Cracky. Um, but she's an example of a woman who did have control over her own affairs. Um... So I think, you know, it's not all as doom and gloom as it it might seem. Although I guess for the vast majority of women in ancient Rome, they were, you know, under the guardianship or under the control or, you know, couldn't do much without the permission of their male benefactor, whether that's their husband or their father or an uncle or even a son. Actually, sometimes, you know, the son might become... The Paterfamilias, the head of the family when his father died, and then his mother would in theory come under his guardianship in those circumstances. but I think that's one of the things I wanted to really pull out, even though you know i I want to do historical role playing games that reflect the history as we as we see it yeah um I don't want so you're not Rome... looking
0: for uh female Roman centurions battling
1: no battling no. Germans. But again, yeah. as I said, I think there are there are such great stories to be told if you just go looking for them. Um, mm. that you know these women, you know, could have a lot of latitude to do stuff. You know, in certain cases they obviously didn't, but in a lot of other cases they would have. So I think there are a lot of stories to be told there and I I really look forward to the idea of of running a campaign you know where all the players are women who are basically controlling things behind the scenes. They're the ones who are in charge, you know. They are the ones who are making their husbands go and do things, you know, publicly. That they are basically controlling and pulling the strings. Um, you know, uh, this is in interesting.
0: I want to return to this topic in a moment because uh, I had yesterday a almost Damascene revelation about our group and our style of play. Which um, just put that thought to one side at the moment. But before that, I need to ask the other question that has been haunting me um you said uh, that emma, emma southron wrote this book and i heard about, heard her on the radio and i that rec- made me recommend this book to you but you said you simultaneously loved and hated <laughs> the author's writing so unpack that for me please i am dying to know what you love and what you hate about emma southron's writing
1: well, it's kind of... I, I love and hate the same thing. Um, so, her, her, so her style is generally not scholarly, mm-hmm. which which is not a bad thing in, in some of these books. Um, you can be a bit too scholarly sometimes. But so it's she a is bit talk- popular history, you say? No, not, no, it's not popular history because the history she's talking about, I think quite a lot of it isn't popular, <laughs> if you get my point. Yeah, but, um, but I meant in the
0: kind of narrative style
1: her, her style is very very informal <clears throat> yeah and sometimes that hits the mark really well and it makes me you know smile or laugh and really mm-hmm. hammers home the point she's making other times it just feels really um kind of unnecessary and b- a bit blatant and then it jars a little bit so that's why i'm saying <laughs> you, i'm loving and hating the style right. um but overall i'm i'm as i said in the thing i'm I'm really enjoying reading this book, and it's 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 unpacking stuff, particularly about some of the sort of Roman creation myths, for want of a better word, mm. or Roman foundational myths, where you know women are very important in that. Now, a lot of that is women being um, abused, actually, uh, and being controlled um, in the early Rome. Um, you know, was full of basically criminals, you know they 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 created the the like a wild West almost. Um, anyone can come here, we don't care what your history is, come here and forge this new city. And so you got a lot of ne'er-do-wells turning up, and not very many women. and there was a problem because the men there obviously wanted to get married and have families, but they weren't attracting women to the city. So what was their what was their um their, their solution? Oh, it was to go and kidnap loads. Mm. So, but but these foundational stories, at the same time as they are uh, demonstrating the very patriarchal and almost you know in many cases abusive approach of the early Romans to to women, at the very same time they are demonstrating how important women were in that foundational myth of, of Rome. And there are other stories as well that go beyond that one, but that's just that's the one of the Sa- the Sabine Wives. Um mm. so it's uh, it's really interesting. So I'm I'm getting a really nice easy to read insight into a lot of those foundational myths which which I was aware of, but perhaps this is the best telling of them that I've read. Um mm. the most easily accessible. So it's very, very good. I haven't finished it yet. Um I've got about a third of the book left to go, but it's uh, it is. It is very good. I
0: guess we ought to be putting a um, a link in the show notes for that book as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think also oh, very interesting I... that the couple of the couple of the people that she's missed out are um, mm. y- people that you might expect. You know, so so Livia, who was Augustus' yeah. wife, who was a powerful political figure. Um, Funny enough, though... I think
0: that radio program I uh, was listening to was actually about her.
1: Yeah. And right. Okay. I had her myself yeah. Until, uh, yeah. Yeah. And she was a powerful political figure for forty years. Uh, so they don't mention her. She doesn't use her as an, one of her twenty-one women, which I, th- which I love. I love that. You know, it's inspiring that she's confident enough on what she's got to talk about that she doesn't immediately say, "Yeah, Livia's on the list, obviously," and she's had the confidence to not put her on the list. And then the other one was Cornelia, the mother of the Gracchi, who is. It's it's famous, but for for different reasons. For less being a political power and more being, you know, the the the, the archetypal exemplar of what a Roman woman or a noble Roman woman should be, in terms of mm. stoicism and strength and uh, and all that. But yeah, very good book. Um, yeah, but I think my, my my basic point was that you know let's not change the history to crowbar women into your stories. Um, let's dig into that history and find the stories that are going to be there that will allow female characters to, to really come to the table properly. That's that, okay. I think that's my, that's my headline. I think.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm going to challenge that a little bit by saying, what if I want to play a female character? Who's a female centurion fighting Cthulhu?
1: Oh, well, you then play Koha Cthulhu. That's, Go and play Cthulhu. You don't play Cone. <laughs> Cone, Cthulhu, did you say? No, yeah, no. Go and play um, Cthulhu. Don't go, play Rome. Yeah. Don't play Rome. Zero would be my yeah, my, my okay. answer to that.
0: Um, only.
1: So I think uh, I think my Cone, Cone, Cthulhu is, is trying to be as authentic as it can be to the to the Rome of of Marcus Aurelius' time, which is when it's set about 180 Common Era. Um, but obviously, it's a horror fantasy game. You know, you're fighting Cthulhuid creatures and old gods and all that kind of stuff. You're using strange magical weapons and all these sort of things. So it's it's much more of a, a fantasy horror game than it is a Roman Empire game. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair.
0: Now I was just so I've been listening as is my want to um, Robin Laws and Ken Height on mm-hmm. um, Ken and Robin talk about stuff. And just recently, they've been doing a series based on a little pamphlet that Robin Law's made for the Kraken, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. I think it's available from Drive-Thru RPG, And it's kind of a uh, what style of game do you like to run and how can you make that style of game better sort of essay, I think is the best way to describe it. And it looks at a variety of games. So, you know, dungeon delving, you know, maybe style number one that everybody did uh, when d first came out, through you know, survival games, all sorts of things like that. But the last one it, I listened to yesterday and it was talking about intrigue games. And right. the archetypal intrigue game, they were saying, is Vampire the Masquerade, where the all-powerful people, there are cliques uh, you know, and and um, factions politicking and you are, um, you know, you're among those cliques and factions and you are intriguing amongst yourself, either as group of player characters or even between the player characters to get advantage either for the whole group or for you as an individual to get, you know, to get what you want out of the factions doing deals. And it, as I was listening to this, and, you know, I've never been particularly a vampire player but it made me think you know this is this is how we're playing tales of the or it might not be how you're playing tales of the old west in in uh, steaming rock nevada but it's kind of how we're playing tales of the old west in new mexico um a little bit and i haven't really thought of uh, tales of the old west being an intrigue game but we are kind of you know playing off different factions against each other and not in the Really simplistic way of um, fistful of dollars, which of course is based on uh, a Japanese film whose name I can't remember, um, but yeah. features a single run. In, you know, um, but that that's kind of there's two or three factions in that, and they're being played off against one another, but by, by a single individual man. Whereas we're actually, you know, we're trying to build a business, and a lot of our rules for Toto are about building the business and building the town. Actually, turn Tales of the Old West into an intrigue game in a way that I hadn't really thought of it being. Um, so it makes me want to A, get this pamphlet and read it and maybe then when I've done that I might write a deeper article on it but it then made me think that a lot of what we play as a group, what we've evolved into and I'm talking about our home group here but also it touches on Alien the Colony. I was thinking uh your man Inspector Shoe, although is you know it's a detective story. Obviously, that whole Alien the Colony, colony campaign is about yeah, Inspector Shoe, <laughs> but no, actually, it's about different factions within that colony. Intriguing, mm. isn't it?
1: I think you're right. Isn't I mean, it? we yes, absolutely. I, I I'm just trying to think. So, what what pops into my head when someone says it's an intrigue game, and Alien the Colony doesn't. Toto doesn't. Um, You know, maybe... maybe, I guess it depends on what your own personal definition of of the word intrigue in a gaming sense would look like. Yeah, But you're absolutely right. We, we We have evolved over the years into a group that has quite... I mean, deep's the wrong word, but has quite usually varied things going on. And, you know, that involves other people who are working against... Your interests, or whose interests clash with yours. You
0: know, our And if that, if that makes
1: an intrigue game, then that that's an intrigue. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, one needs to unpack not the semantics of the word intrigue, but actually, uh, I, I I think I'll, I'll I'll get hold of this book and maybe do a bit of an article yeah. on it. Well, for, I think I think it's not so point. much about
1: the semantics of the word intrigue; it's about what it means to you. What what pops into your head when you hear it?
0: There's yeah but i mean what people, this book about is about seven different styles of play effectively yeah. which he is labeled by various different things i can't remember exactly what they all are but the last one is intrigue so yeah. leaving aside what intrigue means to you as an individual what that style of play is it made me realize is that's what we do even simba room you know which is very much a sort of not quite dungeon delving but definitely a exploration treasure hunting game at yeah. its heart but we were into the town politics i remember you know we were um helping out the goblins against the human um, political yeah. powers in the town there
1: was and rival there was, rival inns that you were working Yeah against. the rival
0: exactly all that sort of stuff that that seems to me and you know even i would argue our very adventurous and entirely unbroadcastable um, uh, Savage Worlds of Solomon Kane <laughs> is a bit like that as well, isn't yeah. it? Um, you know, and, and poor old Andy is trying to run that as a straight vampire horror <laughs> pulpy action adventure, And we keep bloody intriguing about, you know, whether we're supporting the Catholics or the Protestants in France. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, so... So I feel that naturally, I mean, you know, we enjoy all the other styles of play as well. And I wish I could remember
1: them now. And I'd I'm, say it will be I'm, interesting to see the other categories. Cause then we, cause yeah. we could then judge those against our Toto games and our Savage Worlds games. Exactly. So, right. Actually, yeah, well, we'll probably find that these categories, many of these categories feature in, in one, in any one game, I would argue.
0: Well, yeah. And so that, that is part of the thing that of course they're saying that you, you know, you can have a, you can be a dungeon delver and have, one adventure that's actually kind of intriguing um yeah tell you what um we're coming to the end of this piece maybe yeah. i should make that a promise for our next oh, next episode or the one after what next episode's going to oh, be going to be at comic
1: con uh, comic con yeah so let, let's, yeah, let's so there may be the a delay on our
0: next episode <laughs> yeah yeah um we'll have to think about quite how we're going to do next episode but in a week or two there will be no sorry in the, an episode or two that's to say two weeks or four um yeah i'll get hold of that uh pdf from robin laws unpack it and analyze the games yeah. we play and maybe look at the games that Free League put out against those classifications and see what we can unpack
1: yeah okay that sounds like a good idea i'll be interested to see that myself actually we and see, see what we think of their seven categories, whether we yeah. agree with them all as well.
0: Right. Cool. So shall I buy it with uh, some of our free league money then? Yeah, go uh, ahead.
1: Do that. And, uh, and, we'll, and, uh, do and we'll look at that next time. Excellent idea. Cool. Um, or next time, if we're not on. doing
0: something special for yeah. Comic-Con. <clears throat>
1: Right, we have banged on a long time today, so uh, I think it's about time to um, draw to a close. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him.
0: And may the icons bless your adventures.
1: You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.